welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career this is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more we are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise so you're not only learning from me four days a week but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too so if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Whoa, that is all I have to say after doing that interview. We're recording this intro right after the podcast just got done, and all I can say is Brett crushed it. Brett Bartholomew is somebody I've been following for a long time before the social media area, before I could literally click follow and learn from him. I've been learning from him for a long time. He has worked with some of the most amazing athletes, pro athletes in the world. So he understands the human body on such a different level, but that has nothing to do with what we talked about today. Today, we talked about leadership and the art of coaching, which is what he primarily focuses on now. And his book, Conscious Coaching, really shaped a lot of how I coach today. It's a gift that I've given to multiple coaches on my staff. It's a gift that I've given to clients. I've recommended over and over again. So it was literally an honor and extreme pleasure to have him on the podcast to talk about his life, his story, his journey, the lessons he's learned inside of some of the craziest things that you'll ever hear as a child going into athlete uh, athletics, into coaching, into business, into leadership, into being an author, being a public speaker, a mentor, so many different things. You're going to learn so much and you're going to be like literally pacing in wherever you're at while you're listening to this because the dude is on fire and he was getting me amped up. He's going to get you amped up too. And I'm really, really excited for you to listen to this. And honestly, I think the things that he's going to teach you might change your life. It's very upfront, honest, brutal, transparent, real, authentic, however you want to say it. But that's what people need to hear in order to create serious change. So um, do me a huge favor. If you love this podcast, take a screenshot of the episode right now. Post it on your Instagram story. Tag myself at Cody McBroom and tag Brett at Coach underscore Brett B. I'll put both those in the show notes of this podcast as well as the things that he has to offer. Like uh, I think it's called Valued Course. We're going to put that in the description. His uh, website, Art of Coaching. He puts out so much great information. His book is phenomenal. I've read it more than once and I've listened to the audiobook. Highly recommend everything he has to offer and everything will be in the show notes. And once again, if you share that on your story, we want to thank you for listening. We want to share it on our story as well. So without any further ado, let's talk to the legend, Coach Brett Bartholomew. So I think that kind of fits perfectly. Um, but just some background on me as, as we get into this is, is, you know, I've been a coach now for just over 10 years. I started actually interning right when I turned 18 at a strength facility and got in with the right people and learned from, from really good people in the industry. Um, actually, I think we know some similar people. Uh, I learned a lot from Andy McCoy, Luca Hosevar, um, even, even like Gray Cook, Dan John, Michael Boyle, Eric Cressy, a lot of those people I either got to watch in on or they came and spoke to a class and stuff like that. So um, it's been a long journey for me, even at a young age, I'm 28 right now. But throughout that process, some of the things that I've learned the most that are the most important 
are the things completely outside of strength and science and nutrition and stuff like that, which is why I'm so excited to have you on here. I've actually gifted your book to almost every coach on my team. And I've gifted it to so many clients that I work with that are also coaches because it's just such a great book. Thanks, and, man. Appreciate that. That, that really does mean a lot because we don't have, I, you know, I don't know. And it's, this isn't about me, but we don't have uh, we have an interesting story of how that book came to be, but let's just put it this way. There were innumerable amount of people that said, don't do it. Won't sell, won't this, won't that. And so we don't have like a, a huge publisher that markets that like it's all root to the fruit. So every Amazon review, every time you gift a book, all those things mean a tremendous deal. Otherwise we get swallowed by the Amazon algorithm, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'll link that in the show notes for listeners. Listeners, we have the, the, bigger portion of our audience's coaches and trainers and nutritionists and people, gym owners. So, um, they want this, but the other percentage is just personal. I call them personal development junkies, people who are just trying to grow. Right. And this book is going to apply to them too. Cause it's not just about fitness. Like we were talking about off air. Um, but before we dive into the book and everything, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, getting into coaching in the first place. Um, when I first read your book, I actually learning about your childhood and your story into it was actually really interesting. It wasn't what I expected, but it's really powerful. So if you can kind of, um, and you can do it briefly, you can go on a long tangent. It's totally up to you, but uh, kind of give us your story of how you got into this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, coaching for me, I got into it in a pretty unique way. I, I mean, I, I was an athlete all my life. So if we're, if we're looking at this through the lens of a children's storybook where we're getting to know the character and what normal was, right? I was an athlete all my life, had a core group of friends. We played baseball, football all the time, year round, right? Competitive select teams. We traveled together, very close, what have you. Uh, my dad was our coach for part of it. And, uh, you know, you just develop these really strong bonds and you know what the summers are like, you're going to hang out with certain friends. You know what school's like, you're going to hang out with certain friends. Well, at one point in time, there was a shift. Uh, my parents had split and some of my core friends that I grew up playing sports with my whole life went to a different high school. And, you know, just like anybody, I developed new friends and what have you and played sports and what have you. Uh, but there was this shift where a lot of folks in the new high school that I went to had really gotten into hardcore drugs. And we're not talking about like, you know, varsity blues where you're going to your friend's house and people are having drinks and playing poker and talking about girls and what have you. I mean, I'm talking about people shifting into like meth and cocaine and, and things like that. And so this was a pretty, you know, the area of Omaha, Nebraska I grew up in. I mean, even though my parents grew up poor, you know, we grew up in a, a middle to a above average, like household or income family or what have you. You know, my father was a stockbroker. So his job was all commission based. He had to hustle. My mother worked for the government. So didn't make a lavish salary, but you know, she had uh, a stable income. But my point is, is this is the stuff, especially when we talk about social issues today, you don't expect this stuff to happen or most people don't. But the reality is, is we know that in a lot of times, uh, you know, these kind of suburban areas, drug issues are way worse than they are. And it's funny, the, the certain people that probably aren't very cultured uh, or, you know, just kind of naive always think that drugs happen in quote unquote urban areas, which there's a lot wrong with that statement in general, when the suburbs have so many issues. So anyway, you know, I, I didn't identify with this man and I just kind of split and I never really found another social group. You know, high school for me was kind of weird in general. I liked sports, but I was a pretty serious kid and I just never, the whole partying get wasted scene wasn't really my thing. And so I just doubled down on training for sport, you know, and I was very fascinated at this point in my life, let's call it 14, 15 and in fitness, you know, you're reading men's health magazine. It's not like today. I'm not that old, man. I'm going to be 35 in March, but I think people don't really understand how much the information age really has evolved. The, the stuff you can find online even though there's a lot of crap now, there's also, it's way easier to find good stuff than it was then where 
you had to read either men's health or there was these uh, blogs or, or muscle and fitness. And as a 14 to 15 year old, Cody, you don't know where to go. You know, you don't know where to go for information, not reading research. And so anyway, you know, I got really into the dieting side of it, the training side of it. I'm going low carb and low fat, you know, cause I, I play baseball as my main sport and you, you read in the magazines that you don't burn a whole lot of carbohydrates and or calories in these sports. So I'm just thinking, all right, I got to be lean and strong and powerful. And uh, you're reading a lot of bullshit, you know, frankly, and unbeknownst to me, you know, I'm just anybody that dealt with any kind of has dealt with any kind of depression, which I was later diagnosed with, knows that your mental capacities aren't really working. You're not like rationalizing. So I start losing weight pretty rapidly, not as a goal. It's just that stuff is happening. I'm training obsessively. I'm lifting after school. I'm running after school. I'm lifting after dinner. I'm running after dinner. I'm doing push-ups and sit-ups at night. And eventually, man, I went from 130 pounds as a high school sophomore to about 90. And I, I remember I had passed out once running around the school and we had gotten a doctor's appointment. My parents took me, you know, I didn't think anything was wrong with me, but I was just not thinking in that period in general. My mind was so consumed with its own shit. Um, and the doctor's like, listen, your heart, kidney and liver are near failure, you know, and this is a serious issue. So I was put into uh, an outpatient eating disorder facility, which, I mean, imagine you being somebody that hadn't even heard that term before. And if you did hear that term, you think of traditional bulimia and anorexia. I'm like, you're putting me where? No, I, I'm not doing this. And, you know, I had no idea that really what I had had is anorexia NOS, not otherwise, otherwise specified. Anorexia is really classified as like extreme weight loss. And even though that wasn't my goal, this was what happened. You know, I had this perfectionistic attitude towards eating now, an obsessive attitude towards training. It was a way of dealing with anxiety and all these things. So I got put in this outpatient place. It was awful for many reasons. And eventually was put into an inpatient hospital in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And spent a year of my life there in total when you're looking at all these programs that I was in and out of. And it was in there that I really got a master class on interpersonal communication and power dynamics and some of the messy realities of coaching and leadership that we really specialize in now at Art of Coaching. Meaning, you know, in this place, you know, you're, you wake up every day and you get your blood drawn and you are, it, you can't, I couldn't shower for a while because I was at such a low body weight that they thought the initial shock of hot or cold would send me into cardiac arrest. Um, you're weighed on this scale in this really kind of cold, odd way. Like you're kind of just herded like farm animals and treated like a symptom in this place. You meet with dietitians. You have to you have to stay nearly all the time in this day room, which if somebody imagines their living room or whatever surrounded by plexiglass, you're under a constant observation, as are the other patients you share that room with. And you're basically... You have to sit. You can't fidget, burns calories. You can't pace, burns calories. Standing, non-exercise thermogenesis, burns calories. And basically your entire day is sitting in this room, going to these little group therapy sessions and eating. And you eat three meals, three snacks, hospital food, all that broken down by diabetic exchange stuff. So you have to have a certain amount of carbohydrates and fats and proteins and this. And you eat at this glass table where there's nurses on both ends. So you're surrounded by subject matter experts. You meet with psychologists and dietitians and what have you. But in this environment, they don't really treat you like many coaches should, you know, treat athletes or anybody that wants to actually help somebody. 
you can tell a lot of these people are just jaded and they kind of spoke to a lot of other patients in diminutive type terms. I know, you know, because I didn't really identify as having a quote unquote eating disorder, whenever they'd ask me why I was in there and to talk about my problems, they'd always say I was in denial or non-compliant. And man, let's say you had mashed potatoes and gravy because that's what the hospital served. If you didn't like literally, and I'm not I am not exaggerating. Believe me, somebody would have called bullshit on this by now if, if this was the truth. And everybody has different experiences in different hospital and, and inpatient settings. But if you didn't like lick up literally or eat every, any kind of gravy or remnant on that tray, you were basically issued a warning. One, you either had to, I mean, there would be, I mean, every, if, if the average person goes and has pizza right now, Cody, would you imagine there's some sauce or cheese left on the plate? Of course. That's normal, right? There's going to be in the hospital. There couldn't be because they couldn't account for those calories getting in you then. And so if you didn't, and I remember day one, I'm like, piss off. I'm not like licking this plate or like eating whatever that is. That's just normal remnants of food. And they're like, well, you're going to, or you're going to be fed intravenously, or you're going to be given a boost. And then I would get yelled at because I was quote unquote triggering other patients. Imagine saying this stuff or hearing this as a 14 or 15 year old. I'm like, dude, where the hell am I? My parents and I are fighting because I don't think I should be in this place, but I'm a minor. I don't really have a choice. You know, I have no friends at this point because, you know, you look so odd in school when you become this reclusive guy that doesn't hang out. And, and so I'm in this place alone. I mean, literally alone. And, but you start studying people and you realize that nobody's in there because they're scared of pizza or a burger or getting fat. One person had an experience there where they were a junior Olympic wrestler lost a, a tournament, beaten by their father, food and exercise became a way for them to kind of get control and not ever have to go down that path again. One woman, her husband had left, all right? There was another person that was in the middle of like nine kids and, and their eating disorder was a way to kind of keep attention on themselves. So at like 15, you're getting to see some real stuff. And you're seeing that what, what some of these patients share with the nurses or doctors is not what they're talking about when these people are gone. Much like when I got into coaching later on, you know, the like athletes may seem like they're bought in, but they're not. There's always whispers behind the scenes or there's always doubts. And that's human nature. That's in any job. But, you know, eventually, you know, I got out of this hospital and I remember I, I didn't want to go back to a place like this. And so I, I researched and I found two books and, and I actually read these while I was still in the hospital, but I'm trying to expedite it so I don't bore the audience. I read uh, Complete Conditioning for Football by Mike Arthur and Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. Because I'm like, I'm going to regain this weight my own way, right? Like I'm not this hospital. It didn't really work that well. I think I went in at like 90 pounds. I left at 107, which was enough according to my BMI, the most bullshit indicator of health or wellness there is uh, that I was safe to leave. And I just remember, I'm like, I'm never going back to this place. And I mean, we could go on about the whore. You can't go to the restroom without being supervised, anything. And so I, I started studying correct training and nutrition. And man, I put on like 50 pounds in, the, in a little over three months, and I just never looked back. And I remember there were two obsessions of mine now. Okay, I, I learned a lot about the human body. I learned a lot about the dark aspects we can go down. I learned a lot about the right way to train and eat and what I needed to do and what I shouldn't do. And I also learned a lot about people and psychology, especially abnormal psychology, living in my own skin and seeing other things. And I thought like, I'm gonna coach. You know, This is something where I feel like what I know now, 
I can help people, one, train more intelligently and not fall for bad information like I did. And two, because I've studied now social dynamics and had a very real, I mean, I got a PhD in psychology at 15, you know, being in this place, essentially, um, this is what I'm going to go into. And so that led, you know, obviously, when got my degree in, in kinesiology at Kansas State, did some internships, got a master's degree at Southern Illinois in motor learning, was a head strength coach for a variety of sports there at that time, an assistant for others as a GA, and then got a full-time job in the private sector where I started working with pro athletes, college athletes, military, especially in the special forces side of things, youth, high school, started coaching around the world, just got a lot of dense and diverse experience at a really, really young age that I was super grateful to all those employers for, but also just like, I tried to say yes to a lot. So that is a long, the long version of the short version of how I got into coaching. I think that's perfect, man. I think it, it really paints the picture. And, and the first thing that comes to mind that I want to ask you is maybe this is something you picked up in that journey. Maybe it's something that's just in you, but a lot of people might not make such a big shift and see so much success after going through such a traumatic thing. And, and I mean, it sounds like a prison practically, right. And, and, or a psych ward. It's, it, it's crazy. Yeah. And there's so, not embellishment there, by the way, like there's sometimes where you tell a story to try to heighten people's yeah. interests and, there's not a lick of embellishment there. And my parents would tell you the same after they came around and, and, and can think about it all these years after there there's yeah. Yeah. Keep going by all means. What traits do you uh, like have as a, as an individual that allow you allowed you to use that as fuel, right? There's a lot of times where failures or traumatic situations or, or bad things, negative things in your life actually fuel positive things and success and happiness and fulfillment and, and new passions and obviously that's the case with you, but what traits did that allow you to have? Or did you already have that allowed you to take that negative situation and make something yeah, positive out of it? You're probably one of the only people, if not the only person that asked something like that. So I appreciate it. I would have to say the number one thing that comes to mind is self-reliance. I just realized like, man, when my friends ditched out on me, my quote unquote friends, and, and I was at war with my parents during that time too, because I didn't think I should be in there. These nurses, some of the nurses that worked there, there's one in particular I talk about in my book that was just the most awful human being. I mean, when I left, as I'm getting in the elevator, she told me, you'll be back someday. And I just remember like, what kind of human being says that? It was very much like, just you see how twisted some people get when they have a little bit of power. And I hope that made that person feel really good to say that to a 15 year old at that time. But I just learned self-reliance. I'm sorry to be brash. And if you have to edit this out, the reality is, and, and this isn't jaded, it's just real. Nobody get like very few people give a shit about you and you being a collective we or us. Like, of course your family loves you and there's people that love you and care about you. But at the end of the day, when you're in your own stuff, like even if you do have somebody that can help you, like it's up to you. You know, like everybody goes into some dark hole and what have you. But like the reality is, is like nobody's coming to save us. And and again, that's not meant to be doom and gloom. That's just telling people that like, I think we have this society now that passes the buck a lot. Like, oh, well, this person didn't give me my shot or this person didn't do this or I tried this and this didn't work. And I'm not going down this like rah-rah accountability thing. But I just think that people need to understand like, it's up to you to work through your own stuff. And, and you should have a coach that helps you with that. That's great. Like we do a lot of mentoring, both group-based and individual now of other coaches, business owners, what have you. But I mean, the one thing we tell them when they come in, whether it's our mastermind or individual is like, listen, I'm going to show up every week, but don't expect some like five M's of leadership mastery bullshit, right? Like we're going to, we're going to challenge you on this stuff you're doing. And if you're not doing it, then you need to think of it clearer. We had one person that came into our mastermind once and I'm not going to go into names. It doesn't matter. But we said day one, here, here are the expectations, right? Like 
every week we're all going to be held accountable to things, right? There's a devil's advocate group that we have here. And, you know, at week after week, he'd kind of come and say, Hey, like, I'm still overwhelmed. I'm just kind of working through some stuff. Great. How can we help? We'd help. Hey, next week, did you come with it? No, I'm overwhelmed. All of a sudden we get a, uh, an email. It's like, this group isn't what I signed up for. You know, nobody's helping me and whatever. And I just remember reading this and showing it to my wife and I'm like, unbelievable. And we record, you know, for quality assurance, all of our calls. And I remember the other people in the group were like, literally every week, this dude would come and say, you know, oh my God, this is mind blowing. I got to think about it. But then he'd never come again. And, and you realize that there's just a lot of people like that in, in life and in sport and in business and what have you. It's just really easy to pass bucks. So self-reliance was number one, for sure. I think the other thing was the ability to observe social behavior in groups. Right. And I'm not talking about listening, right? Listening, of course, is very important, but I became very adept uh, at, at reading people. And I think that happened as a byproduct because I learned where I was hiding my own bullshit. And, you know, like, were, were there things that I was, I believe that I told myself or ways that I'd react to certain things. And, and when you're that self aware, you recognize that in other people. But I started to get this sixth sense. And maybe it was because my parents got divorced too. And you're always trying to like, when they're arguing, you know, you're like trying to think what you can do to make that better. So I always kind of, kind of became the DJ in college that would choose the music. Cause I had this innate sense of like what song needed to play in the moment. And I love music. Right. So I think I became pretty intuitive and self-reliant as a byproduct of these things in particular. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Cause I know I've been kind of ranting for a bit. Yeah. Honestly, the rants are, they're the best way to go about it. You probably know this. <laughs> yeah. Get sure. the most out. Um, something you said reminded me of actually, uh, your Instagram bio and I might butcher this. So you can correct me if I'm, if I, yeah. if I don't do it right, but it's something along the lines of the least flashy and most brutally honest, uh, place to learn about leadership and communication. And I think what you just said is kind of in your face. And, and you said, we might have to edit this out, which we're not going to do, but the fact that you have to be brutally honest and you have to tell people that like, nobody cares, I think is so valuable. And there's so many people that don't hear that enough. Um, have you always been that way or was there a moment in your life outside of this story you already told us that was like, I need to get this message out to people and, and let them know that nobody gives a shit. Yeah. It's funny you brought that up. Cause I literally just changed that like yesterday in the last two <laughs> days, because you know, like you just start to realize as a, as a person and as a business owner, you're always trying to refine what you do and how to communicate that to people. And I know that within art of coaching, you know, when we teach people how to communicate and lead, it was like, well, that's, that can be nebulous, right? So like big part of what we do is help people get more clarity. And I'm like, well, really what we do is we help people understand the messy realities of these things. And so I'm like, well, am I reflecting that? You know, we feel like our, our websites make that pretty clear. Um, but, you know, and I also get people that always tell me how I should do social media, like, oh, you should do a video on this where you, you know, you show how to coach these athletes or you give this communication tip. Well, dude, like I'm a real guy and, and I'm not saying that people that go the other way aren't real, but they have different resources. I don't have some video person following me around with an HD camera that can like, you know, do this for me daily. And that's not my main focus. My main focus is doing my job and, and other things. And, but since I get people sometimes that expect this like flashy thing, I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You're not going to come to my page. And I know you want to see video clips of me training Julius Peppers from 2012 or all these other people. And there was a time where that's all I posted, but now I'm posting things that make people think and maybe occasionally laugh or maybe feel uncomfortable. And if you don't like that, I'm not your guy. That's okay. And that's probably why I only have like 93,000 followers. A lot of those were built when all I did post was training stuff, you know, and ever since we go the leadership and communication route, right, you, you have to kind of not recycle your audience, but you filter it. Some people fall off. They, they wanted training, Brett. Uh, some people come, they like 
leadership, Brett, and what have you, but we always want to let people know what's up. Now, I, I think to answer your question, I've been like that probably ever since the hospital. You know, I can't obviously answer. It would be a false memory if I try to tell you what I was like at nine. I know that at 14, I saw the movie, The Hurricane, about uh, a guy that was wrongfully imprisoned, wrote a book in prison, and, and ended up making a pretty big impact in people's life. And I remember, as absurd as it sounds, I cried coming out of that movie and tell my mom I need to do something more with my life. So I think I was a pretty serious kid. Um, some of that was nurture nature. I remember my mom lost her mother, my grandmother in 97. And I remember seeing how my mom dealt with that death. And I remember my mom as part of her grieving process telling us, you know, like, because they had gotten in a fight the day before her mother, my grandmother died. And she was like, you know, don't let a day go by without letting people know how you feel and, and love. Cause my mom carried that guilt for a very long time. And I remember that was a very visceral experience for me at a young age to see my mother beside herself. At that time I was 10 or 11. Um, we lost some other members of the family relatively early. So there was very much inculcated in me that we don't have much time, which is why I tend to speak with an intensity and urgency um, we don't have much time. You know, my family members either live to be in their 50s or what have you, or they're in the 90s or 100s, but nothing's guaranteed. I don't have time to waste. The hospital, I almost lost my life early. So I want to go, you know, and plus I was fed a lot of bullshit, man. You know, I've just been fed a lot of, you know, when I got into the field, it's, oh, get your degree and get your certification and do this and do internships and, and you'll be fine. That's not reality, you know, and, and it's not reality in a lot of ways. And so I just looked around when I started thinking about getting on social media, which I never wanted to do, and I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to kind of tell people no bullshit stuff and not in a motivational, you know, nothing against the David Goggins of the world and what have you. Um, but like, I don't, I, I that's not me. I, I'm going to be, I'm going to say things in a real way, but also kind of give you tactics. I don't give a shit if you run an ultra marathon or if you do something or you make your bed every day or what have you. Like, because what good is me telling you to make your bed every day do, which is a common leadership trope, if making your bed isn't important to you? Or, you know, what's another one I heard? How you do anything is how you do everything. That's not true. I don't make love to my wife the same way I take the trash out to the curb. You know what I mean? Like, I don't approach this podcast the same way I approach uh, folding laundry. You know, like, what the hell are these things we're telling people? And so that's a lot of our focus now, because when people follow this bullshit, like it just leads to burnout and identity crises and them not knowing who they are and them getting stuck and lost. And so I'm not everybody's bag of tea and I, I respect that. But like at the end of the day, hopefully when I'm put in the dirt, they're like, hey, that dude, if nothing else was useful and straightforward, you know, like I'm fine with that. Yeah, One of the things that uh, stood out to me on your Instagram was it, you, you mentioned it already, it was either the four M's or the five M's. And I started cracking up because I, I, I've seen it and I relate to it, but it's kind of going along with what you're saying right now. And, and I guess one, I would love for you to spit out those five M's because it, it's funny um, and people will kind of shake their head like, fuck, I've, I've been duped and I've fallen into that. But um, also, how do the, how does the average person listen to this who does want to grow, does want to develop, how do they identify those red flags? And, and when they see these things, I mean, there's so many quote unquote business coaches and so many quote unquote mentors now um, that don't have the right to be in that position, at least in my opinion, that they don't do it well. And there's very few like yourself that do it well, but how do, how do these everyday people who need help, how do they identify that bullshit? Which one you want me to tackle first? The uh, five M's or the latter? The five M's. We'll go. Okay. And, and I'll put this as a disclaimer, cause I'm always, we live in like cancel culture, right? So, um, and I'm always going to make fun of myself first, so, but I, I know that there's just always people that are like, well, Hey man, like if you, if you've read conscious coaching, we do have something in there called the three R framework. 
Uh, that is not something we just regurgitate to everybody in every circumstance. That is for the people that when you write a book, generally people need some kind of just tool to take something, right? So we talk about research, relate, and reframe, but then we spell out what the hell those mean in the context of the book, right? Where when I talked about five M's, like what, what Cody's mentioning for those of you listening is, uh, here's a case study. I have a friend that was in a leadership development group, right? And they paid a lot of money for these things. And we have our own, so I'm not demonizing these things or what have you. But within this, they'd come with a real problem. And give me, give me just any problem, Cody, like that you or somebody else you know deals with general, right? Like, hey, there's this guy at work that's an ass or whatever, you know? Um, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind, mind is balancing life as an entrepreneur. You know, so a that. guy might be like, um, hey, you know, I own this, I, I, I'm struggling guys. I, I have this business and we're profitable or what have you, but there's this gap developing between me and my wife. She's got a stable job. She doesn't always see the behind the scenes things I need to do in my business. You know, how do you guys kind of uh, deal with these things? Because it's leading to arguments and I don't want my uh, my marriage to go down this route, right? So we're role playing here. I'm making this up, okay? Uh, just in case my wife's listening, she's like, what the hell? Uh <laughs> Well, within this group, and I've, I've witnessed it too, this guy basically would would constantly be like, well, one, you know, I think whenever we have problems, we got to go back to the the five M's, right? And that's mindset, motivation, uh, you know, your mantra, measurable and mirror. And, and then these people just spout this. They're like mindset. What's your mindset? If you're not, if you're not focused and you're not balanced and you're not thinking about this and this and this, well, then you're in trouble to begin with. And that belongs with motivation. What's your why, bro? What's your why? You know, and it's like, and then, then they go on, cause that's, that's my mantra, right? The, my mantra is like, always remember your why. And if I remember the mindset, the motivation and the mantra, then my stuff becomes more measurable. And then I can look in the mirror and be proud of myself as a man. And it's like, what the, f did you just say, what did you just say? And like, you know, every time he'd like would come on, this guy would measure like whether these people were improving or not based on this 5M bullshit. And that's fine if you have if you have something that works in your system and whatever. Like there's things in, in communication where we talk about decode, discover, decide, deliver, and, and it insinuates again, what is somebody saying? How can you break down the core construct of it? How are, what are you gonna say? And how are you gonna deliver it based on the message? There's times when those things make sense. But when that's what you throw out all the time or like these acronyms that people come out with that like, it's, it's a mirage. I'm going to give you something that looks shiny and sounds cool because you're going to get a dopamine hit when you have something memorable. But then when you go to apply it, there's nothing. And there's speakers getting paid $100,000 to go, you know, present at Deloitte and Touche and Google and, and, and you know, wherever that literally will do this. They'll, they'll go and be like, hey, remember the burn. Remember, if, if anything else, you remember the burn inside and you look at yourself and I'm like, why do people pay for this shit? And now that they pay for it, Cody, research shows over $300 billion a year are spent is spent on some kind of leadership development to that effect. $300 billion, man. And um, yeah, so that's context into the, uh, the M's. Now, your second question was, how, what are red flags? Yeah, how do, how do people identify this? Yeah, besides, I mean, besides looking for these funny acronyms. Yeah, and obviously, I'm not the, uh, I'm more of like this uh, guide on the side than I am this like, you know, sage on the mountain. So I, I'll give my take on how I identify it. I don't know how other people do. Uh, and, and this is ad hoc, right? So like one, I just think about like, again, is it tactical? Is what they're saying making sense? If I said, hey, slow this down. And I'm the kind of guy that needs to read the instruction book twice, right? Like, and if I'm like, all right, so stop. Can you walk me through that? Like, how does this work? And if it's just generality after generality and there's nothing like specific or tactical, that's a clue. Now, 
I'm going to play devil's advocate to that because there's also times where some people expect people to spoon feed shit to them, right? If I say, hey, Cody, uh, and again, I'm making this up, right? Role-playing. I've never seen your website, but if I was like, hey, Cody, um, you've talked about how you want to convert more uh, on the digital side of your business. And I, uh, I looked at your website and shit, was I given a general example here? A general? Was yeah. that where I was going? Yeah. I, and if I say, hey, you need to improve your SEO, maybe you should, you should do a blog, right? And you're like, okay, well, I mean, like, what should I do it on? And I'm like, well, here are some examples for you. You could do it on these three things. I've heard you talk about this or that. That even though that's general, I look at that as that's helpful. Now, if you're like, well, what term should I use? What topic should I do? I'm going to, Cody, I, listen, man, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking spoon feed you. You come up with some ideas and let's chat about it. Right. I think that's reasonable guidance. But if you're just like saying, uh, Hey man, you need to put out content that incites, inflames and inspires. And you're like, cool. Like, what does that mean? Well, stuff that gets to the core of who you are and why you do what you do like that. And, and everything is that level, right? They never get more granular. That's the thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's like foreplay that doesn't go anywhere. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And, but it is a fine line because it's funny, man. We'll go and when we have our live events, when it's not COVID, we do this two-day workshop called The Apprenticeship where people can come and it's all about uh, better how to be a better communicator, understanding behavior change, influencing the psychology of others or what have you. One of the beginning slides we have is like, hey, manage your expectations. We can give you the principles. We can give you an open space to practice, but like nobody can sit here and tell you how to apply all of this stuff 100% of the time to every situation you face for all of you. And, and a lot of what we do is role-playing. So we feel comfortable saying that because we ask people to come and say, well, I'll say, hey, Cody, come up and uh, we're talking about um, managing your emotions during negotiation. I want to know about a case study you deal with in your job where that's a struggle for you. And I want us to act that out and walk through it. So we'll get another partner. We'll come up and do it. Right. If you do it, great. You, you've, you've given us an output to now measure and evaluate and talk about. But if you just sit your happy ass in the back of the room the entire time and you never, or you're like, well, I'm not really comfortable doing role playing or whatever. And then later we go through the reviews and you say, uh, didn't find it applicable to my situation. You're the asshole. You are, you know what I mean? And so it's a fine line between, it's nobody's job to hold your hand. Uh, but at the same time, you got to understand, like, are you getting something tactical? So I think that's one. Two, does this person actually do what they do? You know what I mean? Like, do they do what they do? And they don't have to do it all the time. There's a point where Steve Jobs didn't make max, you know, like I, I, in strength and conditioning, like there's a time of year now where I don't train athletes and there's a time of year that I do. And I remember hearing somebody say, and this wasn't directed at me, but at a conference, they were talking about a speaker on stage and they're like, well, he doesn't train athletes anymore. I'm like, yo, that dude's 65. You know what I mean? Like, why does he have to, like, he can speak on coaching. If, if somebody's a chef for 20 years, right? I don't know if Emeril Lagasse still cooks, but like whether he does or not, I'll, I'll probably take his, his advice on how to do like a lobster bisque. You know what I mean? Like, um, and at some point, like I probably won't coach as many athletes as, I mean, I, I take it very small now because a big part of our business is moving other places and you grow and you evolve. Dr. Dre is not a rapper, you know, but like, is that discredit his understanding of rap from when he was in WA? So I just think like, again, there's this balance of the person should be working through something that's related to that. Even if I'm not coaching and somebody comes to me for coaching advice right now, they know, I mean, my work is pretty evident. It's, it's pretty easy to know if I've coached somebody. And that, that includes the six years I worked for a company, a great company, Athletes Performance, but you couldn't put things on social media, but it's still not hard to find. 
So I think you got to figure out like, am I taking advice from somebody that's actually got skin in the game? Is it tactical? Um, those are the first two that jump out. And I think two is just like, am I, am I getting uh, anything that allows me to move the needle forward? But it is tricky because you can't evaluate them in a vacuum. There's, there's just too many people that don't take advice even when it is good. And it's easy for them to be like, well, their shit was dumb. You know what I mean? So it's all about the, it's like leadership, man. This is the best way I can put it. Leadership's not about one person. Leadership is not about traits, right? Leadership is not about situations. Leadership is a shared process about how an individual, a group of, a group of people, let's say, the context, the, the, the time factor, right? Like what was a good leader in the 1950s is different than the 2040s. What's a good leader in America is a different than what's a good leader in China. So it, it's a shared process of how the context, the people, their past experiences and the goals all come together to form leadership. But we've been sold that leadership is about transparency and empathy and, and, and this and being charismatic. That's not true. There are many different types of leaders and many of them that have been effective. John Wooden taught people how to tie their shoes. Bobby Knight threw chairs and choked people. They both won championships and they both have people that love them to death and have gone to either Wooden's funeral and will go to Bobby Knight's. And I'm not... I'm truth and jest there, right? Like I'm not, I'm not insinuating that's all Bobby Knight did. I'm just saying that people have this in their mind that a good leader is this perfect thing that solves all their problems. And that's all bullshit. Yeah. I, I think you made a really good point there as somebody who is, I would still consider myself a young coach, uh, even though I've been doing it a long time scaling you get in this mindset that you have to be in the trenches. Like you have, like I have to have a full roster of clients 24 seven if I'm going to be a coach still. And I think it, you made a good point that made me feel good. And I think people out there that I've talked to that are trying to scale now in order to build a team, in order to create more influence, you actually do have to step away sometimes. And it doesn't take away your credibility of, of who you are and what you teach. So I, I love the way you framed that. And just this, this whole conversation kind of screams at what your values are as an individual. And obviously I don't know you personally, so I don't know what your core values are, but I would say authenticity is something I get from that because you're very authentic and transparent and real with how you talk. And you did a post that was really cool that talks about values guiding your decisions. And there was a few things you just said about basically people need to take action in order to expect any type of success or result after the fact, right? We're not going to spoon feed people. How do people go about finding their values or creating their, their values? I remember being in a seminar with Martin Rooney, it's probably like seven years ago. And he was talking about core values. And he said, like, I want everybody to think about the core values. And I raised my hand. I was the first one. I was like, I got mine. And so I spit it out like loyalty, respect, like just what I thought sounded cool. And he was like, you're, you're lying. And I was like, what? And he was like, you just think they'll sound cool. You didn't even think, would you die for those things? And I was like, fuck, man, I've never, never thought about it like that. I came, I actually like messaged him like weeks later. I was like, I got it. And, and I figured it out. But how do people go about finding that? And what is your process of teaching people to kind of not only find, but, but live their values so that they can make the right decisions? Yeah. I mean, and again, I can just speak to how I find mine. I mean, you find it through going through life and putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I think when somebody says they know their values, but they've been surrounded by familiarity and routine, that's pretty tricky, right? And that's a big reason why so many of our live workshops are improv based. And I'm not talking improv, haha. I'm talking about, you know, putting people in real uh, situations with heightened constraints and all these kinds of things where they have to kind of work their way out of a corner. Because I mean, think about this way, right? Like when we're, when we're really young, I have a one-year-old and right now my one-year-old, like he, how does he experience the world? Do you think, do you think it's more sensory based or do you think that there's a lot cognitively going on in his mind in terms of self-talk and, and what have you, which of those things do you think uh, really dominate things at, at one-year-old? 
I would guess sensory. Right. And, and, and just to make sure the audience understands, we're not talking about the amount of neurons the child has, right? Of course, there are tremendous, but this child doesn't have theory of mind yet. They don't know that what they think, if they think, at what level they think is not the same thing that everybody else thinks. They don't know that. They experience the world through senses and, and what have you. And, and that's great. And there's also drawbacks to that that obviously will change over time. But you know, as people get older, they tend to uh, experience the world in a less direct way. And they're always in their own head, right? They're, they're reading things or they're doing this, but they're never actually experiencing it themselves, right? It's the difference between experience and exposure, right? Like uh, exposure is you're kind of seeing something you've, you've been exposed to it, right? You're witnessing it, what have you. Experience is a direct facilitation of that thing, right? Like you, you've, you know what it's like to not just lead a warm up. You've coached a group or you've coached a group in another country with non-English speaking athletes, or you've coached, uh, you know, you've worked with somebody that didn't believe what you're doing and what have you. And so, you know, now what we have is just, we have people that want to be exposed to information on all these things, but they don't actively participate it. So it's like, we need a little bit more of that, that baby world in our life where people are actually feeling it and sensing it. You know, if you come to our apprenticeship, day one is not comfortable. Day one is not comfortable. Again, when you're put in a situation where I'm like, hey, Cody, uh, you got five people in front of you. You have to explain uh, a squat to all of them. And one is from the baby boomer generation. One is Gen Y. One is a millennial. And one is deaf. And, you know, you could sit there and be like, well, this would never happen in real life. Go ahead and tell me again all the things that don't happen in real life. We're in a pandemic where sports arenas are filled with cardboard cutouts of South Park characters and people, you know what I mean? Like shit yeah. that doesn't happen in real life happens every day. And it doesn't matter if it happens in real life. It's a constraint. It's a form of overload. None of my athletes walk around in real life and squat 400 pounds. But in the context of the weight room, they do to elicit an adaptation. Right. And so it's what you were talking about and people not knowing their values is a byproduct of people passively observing and not having skin in the game. And that's not my opinion. That's my, that's the research we've done even for my doctoral work of seeing out of 256 coach development programs. And this was as of 2016, 4% focused on interpersonal skills, 2% focused on intrapersonal skills. And the ones that did, we're all just talking about transformational leadership and rah, rah, like, we're putting people in situations that are really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. And, and so I think that you, for people to, you know, they can say what's important to them. I'm not going to say people don't know what's important to them, but I don't think your values become clear to you until you've been through a lot of shit and you've been asked to compromise your values. Your values have been put to the test. You know, one of my core values is keep discomfort close. Um, I keep visible. I'm looking at one right now, visible reminders of when I was in the hospital I keep visible reminders of failure and moments of self-doubt because I think that we epitomize, we love the bright side of stuff so much. We ignore the dark side. I never want to forget what it was like being in that hospital. I never want to forget what it was like experiencing, you know, like even as a boxer, I'll never forget what it was like the first time I got popped in the nose and I tasted blood, that iron metallic like if you can't taste your failures to some degree, don't tell me about your values. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So uh, that's probably the biggest one I would give you. I love that, man. That's so powerful. You, you've said something a couple of times that makes me, I didn't know you did masterminds and things like that. But one of the things I had written down, I think is relevant to this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts is literally I wrote down like, what are your thoughts on masterminds and mentorships? And I say this being somebody who has attended quite a few, I run a mentorship group with young coaches. Uh, so I believe in it, but I think that 
it's been distorted as of late. Like there's the, the, a mastermind today is some like doesn't mean or hold the same value as it did five years ago to me. Um, Why? In greater context. I would say because of poor experiences with bad masterminds, right? What, and it doesn't what, mean- What's a poor experience in your, con- like what, what do you, for you describe as a, what's a poor experience? So the two things that come to mind, the first one was very similar to your analogy of the five M's. Like you go and, and you get kind of fired up and then you leave and you kind of realize that you didn't actually leave with anything valuable or applicable to what you need or what you were after. Um, and then the other one is where you go and it, and it's, it's tactic based, but maybe it's, it's one funnel system that worked for one company that is not individualized to who you are and what you do. And, and it's just like these marketing terms being thrown out that people don't really understand, but they feel like they're getting something right. Um, now I've also been in masterminds that changed my life. So it's hard for me to say, like, I don't want to say that masterminds are bad because I, I run them and I think they're amazing, but they're different. So I'm curious about yours and I'm curious about what your thoughts are on this whole thing. Yeah, man. I mean, the name of them sucks. I know that, you know, when a buddy of mine first, he said, why don't you do this? Cause you do a lot of mentoring or what have you, you know, I've always been a slow adopter to certain things. I was a slow adopter to social media as well. Cause again, I'm just very big on like, I want my work to stand out. Cause I do this work for the right reason. Right. Like, um, and I want to be useful and helpful to people. And I like interacting and, and being of use, but I don't want to ever like sell out. Now, somebody's opinion of what selling out means. And if I've done it, when I wrote a book, there were people that said I sold out. When I got on Instagram, there were people that said I sold out. I don't really give a shit about those kinds of people's opinion. You know, that's that, like, really, I wrote a book and I'm selling out. Got it. Um, but anyway, like I remember telling a friend, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, man. Like masterminds connotate like the 10 X your life, bro, kind of stuff to me and, and whatever. He's like, well, I mean, it doesn't really have to be that. And I'm like, anyway, he talked me into it. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm not calling it a mastermind because I hate that name and I'm not a master and I don't want to be kind of, I don't, again, want this guru kind of thing. Um, I'll call it a coalition, right? And we just fancy it up, right? Put lipstick on a pig. But here's what I said I was going to do. <laughs> I said that when we do this, um, it is going to be open to leaders of all types, um, people that have a sense of urgency. I don't really give a shit if they own it. What I've, what I've always heard with masterminds is like, oh, your business has to make over 300K or it's only open to people that have been pro sport coaches or this and that. I'm like, no, nah, I want the Island of Misfit Toys. I want the Island of Misfit Toys. And so like give you an example. And one of our groups, we had a guy that was in his 60s. Uh, high school strength coach, super bright, locked in, uh, like actually like worked at Leavenworth prison, rough around the edges, but badass. We had a PT student who was like, tw- like I, I, maybe she's 23, 24, doesn't even have a business in PT school. But her goal when getting in the group is like, she wanted to kind of learn from people out in the real world, what have you, so that when she got out there, she, she kind of knew how to brand herself or do this or do that, right? Which I think is super forward thinking. Uh, we had another person who is, is very intelligent, but just massive imposter phenomenon has all these gifts, but like is literally just stuck, right? Like procedurally, like, I know I want to do more. Um, I know I have something to give. I don't know what the hell to do. And then we had another person that had all that figured out, but they were having an issue of like, uh, you know, kind of scaling what they did. Right. And so like, I love that. Like that's, those are the kind of people I want to be around now. Granted, I'm, I'm not everybody when I box competitively, uh, one of the best, I liken it to these Bible study groups. I remember like, I believe, I believe in God, but I'm more of like a spiritual person than I am religious or whatever. And, uh, I remember people would try to get, I had this girlfriend that would always try to get me to go to a Bible study. And every time I went, it was a bunch of white people and really neatly pressed khaki pants talking about stuff that I didn't understand and acting like life was perfect. 
that wasn't my experience. It wasn't until a boxing gym that I went to in Phoenix had a Bible study. They're like, you want to come? I'm like, nah, hard pass, hard pass. I know what these things are about. And then I went one time and here I was. And then next to me was a former drug, drug addict who got into boxing. Here was a like 20 year old professional Hispanic fighter. Here was another person. Here's And I'm like, these people were talking about real stuff. And I'm like, I like this, you know, because it was less about how you should live your life. And this is bad. And this is good. And black and white. It was people that did the gray area. So if you were to ask me today what our group is about, it's about people that are interested in figuring out greatness in the gray area. They have imperfect situations. They have a lot of shit they want to figure out. They don't want to be told a bunch of nonsense, you know, but at the same time, like, they're not always going to know the right answer or they know the right move or they're terrified to put up a website or whatever. But because we have that mixture of people in the groups, people that have successful businesses, people that are starting out, people that may not even want a business, but they, um, they want to figure out how to have more balance in their life and other people that like are, you know, whatever, name it. Uh, that's what we wanted. And so we put these people into a pot and we were nervous at first because we, we have people fill out a pretty in-depth form. One, because it filters out the phonies and pretenders that really just want to come in and be passive. We don't want that anyway. And two, it, it teaches them kind of a lot about, uh, you know, what they really want out of the group. And then three, a lot of the questions kind of help us understand uh, hidden biases, internal, external locus of control, what have you, are they right fit? Um, but when people come into the group, it's like, hey, you're, I'm not going to promise you anything when you come in, but I promise you when you come out, you'll have some different perspective and tips and tactics. And if you don't make the most of those, I mean, that's on you. Cause every week we have kind of like a, it'll either be a hotspot or a share your screen, or sometimes it's just a check-in, um, you know, and what have you. And then other times, like we did, what did we do? A three to six month growth plan. We don't do the whole five year thing. Bullshit. You tell me what, where you, where you want to be in five years. Nobody knows where they're going to be in five years, you know, and like we're going to be five days from now, Barry. So yeah, that's what we do. We have the Island of Misfit Toys. We explain a lot about the gray area and we try to have tactical shit and, and not everybody needs to do it the same way. I'm sorry, not everybody. We'll talk about funnels. We'll talk about digital stuff and what have you, if, if that's relevant. Um, but not everybody needs to do those things. I don't have like the, uh, the, the coalition system because that may not be relevant to everybody. Does that give you enough context? Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and from my personal opinion, I think that's how it should be. And that's not the best sales tactic to get people to your event, right? Because it's not giving them. I don't want everybody in it. I don't want everybody in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's golden. I think that shows a lot about you as a coach, you know? And I think that you said it at the beginning of that spiel. It was like, it's, that's not why you're doing it, right? You're doing it to actually create a change in people, period. Well, I do. I mean, here's another thing. Selfishly, I lost my damn mind as a strength coach getting brought into nonstop arguments about what do you think about this training? What do you think about that kind of training? What about six, six by four, four by six? What do you think about Charlie Francis versus this person and whatever? And I mean, dude, I've, I've done this a while, you know, and, and these arguments have been the same arguments for over a decade. And, and people are just arguing about stuff that isn't even like, it's important, but like, it's not the core of many of these people's problems. I mean, I'm sorry. Like you definitely need to commit if you're a strength coach or what have you into understanding that the X's and O's, but it ain't that hard. You know, like when you start out, like I obsessively learned about every form of periodization and program design and this and that and whatever. And then you realize 90% of the stuff doesn't even like apply because I've trained more than 500, probably close without embellishment to a thousand professional athletes or high level athletes. And I, I maybe have had 2% that were high level trainees. So I'm sorry when people want to talk about eccentric overload uh, type training or what have you, or they want to get into some nuanced form of periodization when the majority of these athletes don't need it and they just lack basic 
understanding of good movement skills, adaptive responses, and, and understanding of, of foundational training is just horseshit. And so what I needed, I needed a group of people that wanted to talk about bigger things. I needed a group that if I wanted to talk about some stuff, it wasn't like, oh, you're a sellout because you have a book, right? Like I needed a group where like nobody needed to apologize. Cody, if you came in and you're like, hey guys, like I'm going to be honest, like I have some financial goals and I want to be really good at what I'm doing, but I'd also like to make X amount of money per year. You don't need to apologize for that, man. Like you're telling me that you'd like to make money and be good at your job. Fuck yeah. You know, that sounds like a totally reasonable thing, you know, but in our field, that's anathema. Yet nobody goes to like the, the local restaurant during the pandemic that's struggling to make it and thinks, hey man, give me free food or you're not in it for the right reasons. Huh? But like we had, and so that's when we created courses around this, all this stuff. I wanted to remove this toxic attitude from strength and conditioning of for anybody that felt like they wanted to do more than just coach that it was bad. It's bad if you want to do more and you do it all shitty, but if you want to do more for the right reasons and the right way and what have you, but you want a playbook on how to do that, that that's not bad, man. That sounds like good scaling and smart business and a way to really help more people to me. And I could literally, I could go on and on and on about this. I want to respect your time. So I'm going to, I'm going to finish up with one question, but I think that's so real and applicable to the people listening. And I love the way you framed that with the restaurant because it's so true. And I think so many people get, I mean, Granted, like I remember starting out and being like, I'm doing this to help people. I don't care about, you know, but I was also 18 when I started training people. Do both. Why does it, why, why does yeah. making money mean you're not going to help people? Yep. hundred percent. And I think, I think it's crazy that it's almost looked down upon to talk that way or shame. So well, that's been because again, that's like, uh, and I talk about this, we have an online course heads up. I'm going to plug it, mm-hmm. uh, valuedcourse.com. We, we have a field that oftentimes use this, uh, I'm more moral than you, or I'm more self-sacrificial than you. That was for them a marketing tactic. You know, all these people that said they don't believe in marketing and branding, yet I'm in it for the right reasons. First in, last out. It's not about the money. We actually go into the psychology of that and where that came from in that online course. And a lot of it started in education. And it started when substitute teachers were trying to get full-time jobs. And so it's, it's, it's what's called impression management. And there's a tremendous amount of research on it that we dive into. Uh, but the irony is I started to see that for what it was. I started to see it where it's value signaling. These people were trying to say, hey, like I'm more, I'm more this, I'm more that, I'm more this. So that's why they put it down. And then it's like, all right, man, well, you tell me how you change the world when you're broke. You tell me why when I'm on a plane, they say, if the altitude changes, put on your mask before somebody else's. You tell me how I fill anybody else's cup if I'm burnout because I didn't look out just for basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You tell me. And, and by the way, Cody, how many people do you know that have ever told their parents, hey, I'm going to be a strength coach? And their parents are like, damn it, Judy, we raised him wrong. He's doing it all about the money. I don't think this is a field what other field do you hear about that openly chants it's not about the money? I don't know, a dentist that says it, a lawyer that says it, a restaurateur that says it. You could say, well, you're not around them all the time. Ah, I have a friend that's a lawyer for BNSF and, and I ask him this. I have friends that are doctors. I, hey, do you guys walk around saying it's not about the money? He's like, well, like why? Like, you know, like people, they'll, they'll talk crap in their own ways, but it's all just like brainwashing bullshit from a, a very insecure. It's a great field. I love it. I, I owe it a lot of my life, but it's a very insecure field, hyper-competitive, not very intelligent in terms of the business standpoint, because it's not very self-aware, hyper-competitive people who like lifting weights, made it their job, and aren't always very professional. Man, I, I haven't taken your courses, but 
I might after this. And I think that, I think what you're saying just goes to show like, this is, this is a big missing part of what trainers and coaches and, and gym owners and, and just leaders, anything needs to understand and needs to know. And the fact that you're teaching people how to become aware of it and change it is so unbelievably needed and cool. And I want to finish with one, one question. And then I want you to plug everything that you offer so people can go check it out. But the question is pretty simple. Like with your book in mind, uh, the art of coaching and the most people listen to this podcast are strength coaches, nutritionists, gym owners, like I said before, uh, yeah. or just fitness enthusiasts, but coaches in general, what is the one thing you think they're missing? Right. Cause the art of coaching is not just about, like you've said, I mean, you've made it clear. And just so you know, too, I, this is what I respect about you so much too. We're sitting here having a conversation and there's jerseys behind you. You've coached some of the, the most elite people in the world. And we haven't once talked about program design or the people you've trained or anything like that. And it goes to show that you see so much more inside of what coaching is than just speed and power development. Right. And so I want to ask you, like, what is that thing that, that really makes art of coaching what it is and what people are missing today that you're trying to give them? And this is like one of those, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie questions? I feel like a tremendous amount of pressure to say one thing really enigmatic and really right. Um, it's an interesting question because like, and I want to make sure I re I, I summarize it. You want, you're looking for what is the thing that most people are missing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that people need to understand that. And this is, this is going to sound leadershipy. Uh, but it's it's a headline that I think is clean and people will remember. Greatness occurs in the gray area. And when we're talking about leadership in any context, it is more about the integration of how we communicate, the context, perceptions, our own, somebody else's, power dynamics, all these things than it is about idealized traits or the one right way. There's no drop down menu or cheat sheet for this stuff, right? Like, you have got to put skin in the game. People can say whatever they want about me in any capacity. And, and people will say things about a lot of people, but nobody will ever say that like, I haven't actually like put skin in the game and done it. They won't, you know what I mean? They can say, uh, oh, Brett just wants like, uh, what? let's see, um, you're, I, I get, oh, your stuff should be free if you're really wanting to help people, right? Because our online courses are around 497. What they don't know is we spent $25,000 building each course right? So every time somebody says, well, this should be free or this should be that, or I should be this, or you should tell me that. I just think like, what, like, what do you know about this stuff? You don't. And, and I can say that because I used to be that guy when I didn't know, I thought that people were doing this stuff. And, and, and that was because a lot of times people did it really crappy and low quality. I mean, I was, I was paying thousand dollars as a GA for what was supposed to be a course. And somebody put their phone on a tripod and filmed uh, a presentation that you couldn't hear half the audio. We didn't want people to have that experience. So we hired a professional film crew and put a lot of money behind this, like put it on a credit card where we didn't know if anything was going to work or people would buy it and, and what have you to give people a really good experience. Because my goal with Art of Coaching from a strength coach side is to try to teach people there's a third way. Growing up, I wanted to be a head, just a division one strength coach or work in the NFL and what have you. And I've had these opportunities and I'm grateful for them. And there's nothing wrong with them if that's a path you want to go. But it's also not the only path you can go. You can go into a path where what we do now, we crossed over, we're teaching people in different fields what we in the performance industry know about leadership. And that's not wrong. We have academics that have done it Robert Sapolsky, Angela Ducksworth, all these people have gone and done this. Uh, um, uh, what's his name? I'm sorry. Uh, Robert Cialdini. There's so many people from different fields. There's Jocko Willing from military that's done this. 
I don't have an agenda. I have an agenda to take what I learned as a strength and conditioning coach and teach other fields how to apply it, specifically on interpersonal realities of messiness. Why? Because there were times where I had 30 athletes out on the field that collectively were worth $500 million if you looked at their contracts and guaranteed salaries. And not all of them looked at a 5'8 white kid from Omaha, Nebraska as an authority. Yet I had to get them under some sense of commitment and control in a good way, but an adaptable way. And most importantly, in a different way to get them to do the shit they needed to do. Right. And I think that no, I think that we know a thing or two about that, but the more we argue about sets and reps and polos and people on the sideline and this and that, and who's smart and certifications versus licensures, the more people just waste time, just wasting time. I'm sorry, expertise. Here's the big blow up. And I'll end it with this. Uh, the, the most common thing I see nonstop um, and, and I'll call it out. It's like in the NSCA message board threads and other threads and whatever is, well, why do, why, you know, why this person's not an expert and that person's not an expert. And why don't we do this? Expertise is subjective. Value is subjective to the person. Somebody right now is eating at the crappiest pizza place we know. Awful, awful source ingredients, awful cleanliness standards, but somebody in a world of 8 billion people is eating there and they love it. They, that's their favorite pizza place. Conversely, somebody's eating at a place with organic, locally sourced, farm to table, handcrafted, sterile, this and that, whatever pizza, and they hate it, right? Somebody's working with a coach that has two PhDs and a lab filled with everything and the best technology in the world, and they hate them. And there's other people that love them too. Let's not forget about that. And then somebody else is working with a bro on Instagram that just knows how to speak their language, get to the nitty gritty, but doesn't know shit about programming, and they love them. Now, I'm not arguing about what's good or bad. I already said greatness is in the gray area. Know your stuff on the tactical side, but be, uh, be just as uh, uh, dedicated on the interpersonal, on the social side, and everything else that you do, and quit whining about what everybody else is doing. Put skin in the game, otherwise don't comment on it. So that's, you know, that's the rant I'll give on that. That's a perfect way to end it. And honestly, like this hour flew by like that because you were just crushed it, man. I loved this interview so much. Uh, leave us with everything that you offer, all your links, your social, all that stuff so people can follow you. People can check out what they can purchase from you and, and learn from you with. Um, and we'll put it all in the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, the best way, if, if, if anything I just said recently resonates, the best place to go is just valued, like value what you get for your money with a D, right? Valuedcourse.com. But you can also access that just on artofcoaching.com artofcoaching.com will lead you to our book, our podcast, our online courses. They're CEU approved for people that need NSCA credentials. Our live workshops are CEU approved, all those things. If you're a physical therapist, dietitian, whatever, all these things are relevant. We by no means in any of our stuff, just talk about coaching stuff. Even if you hear me talk about coach and athlete, right? Like for you, that might be patient or client or what have you, right? Microsoft learned this really early. They were the first large organization that took to the book. And I'm like, yo, how, what, what, how'd this work? And they're like, well, you say coach and athlete, but we saw engineer and salesperson, or we saw executive in this. And that's all I'd ask people to understand, right? Like coaching is leading and guiding and teaching and mentoring and all these things. So that's critical. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd tell everybody to go to artofcoaching.com. I'm on Instagram and all the other social networks, uh, coach uh, underscore Brett B. But again, you know, don't, and I'll tell you this, don't come to my Instagram and expect to get just like, I'm not able to teach what's in my book or my courses on Instagram. Instagram is insight into my life and we throw tips up there and things like that, but it is one-tenth of what we do. So if you're just looking for an Instagram thing to like double tap, I'm not your guy. If you want to dive deep into shit, yeah, follow us, but also subscribe to our stuff because we don't waste time because we don't have time to waste. 
I can tell you right now, everybody listening to this, you guys would love his Instagram. You would love his book. I highly recommend all of it. We'll put all that in the show notes for you guys to check it out. This is somebody that I've been following, um, not just on social media, because I knew of him before social media was really popping off um, for a long time. And it's somebody I've respected. And it's been really cool to see how Why? you transition, man. So thank you for all you do and all you put into the industry because it has a huge influence on myself and many other coaches. And uh, of course, thank you for your time today, man. I, I, yeah, really thank, I mean, it. thank you for the good questions. I mean, I don't, I'm doing fewer and fewer podcasts now as a guest because I know a lot of people mean well, but they don't always come prepared or they don't just think about it as a conversation. You were very thoughtful, very well prepared. You know, it's, uh, I can tell that you're interested in these things. The thing I'd tell you, man, is, um, when I was young and I'm not old, but when I was younger in the field, cause I wrote my book at 29 or 30, there were just a lot of people that said, you shouldn't be doing this at this age and whatever. You're not old. Like the age thing is bullshit. And that goes for the 70 year old flipping things or the 28 year old flipping things. Like perspective is what matters, you know? And so like, I would just say to anybody out there, uh, because this was my experience, don't, don't get deboed, you know, don't let people kind of tell you what you should and shouldn't do based on your age or what have you. And at the same time, and I think we made it clear, don't go out and try to be something you're not right. Like that's the, and, and we're not going to go there. Cause that should be evident, but like this, we are told a lot of negative things in this profession that like almost you, you, you should apologize for being successful. You shouldn't have a podcast. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that bring value to people and just follow whatever that is, but just expect the road to be long and hard and arduous and frustrating. And, uh, you know, there's days, plenty of days where I don't feel like I'm making an impact and that's not like, Oh, I'm fishing for compliments. You just don't always see that stuff, you know? And so just keep doing what you're doing. And I appreciate the time and the preparation, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. That means a lot. Yeah. Yeah.